remarkable person. And we get to see just some of the brilliance in this particular letter. It's not a book. It's a letter written to a, a Christian community. Um, and we'll get into the details of that because it's very applicable and important to my message. But um, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. And you'll know where I'm going with this probably uh, with this opening verse. Although, when we track down further in the text, we'll, we'll find that John throws a, a curveball in terms of his opening statement. And that's in profound in and of itself and quite shocking. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See how much the Father loves us and calls us what? His children. And then he affirms us, and that is what we are. That is what we are. We are his children and he loves us. That's good news today, friend, that we're loved by God. I mean, you may not feel it. You may not really know it and have the security of it. But today, the truth is that nothing can separate you nor me from his love. Come on, that's, that's gospel. That's good. We should all feel very free this evening. Uh, there is now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. It's not because of us. And our goodness or our works, it's because of Jesus. His sacrifice that he made on the cross, atoning for our sins. Come on, it's so good. So in that, and because of that, he what? He made us his children. And we are fully loved. And no matter how you feel this evening, the truth is, you and I are loved by Christ and by God. You know, this scripture kind of sets the premise, the tone, if you would, for the rest of the, uh, the, the chapter. But, but I would say it even sets the tone for the whole letter itself. That might be a bit of a stretch. But you know, studying just this little letter here in 1 John. I think it's five chapters. Uh, you know, I think that this uh, love. The message of love. And that father has made us his children. Is like the cornerstone. The foundation of what the rest of the letter is all about, and chapters are all about. So we should be even more uh, in joy and filled with faith because God loves us. Because honestly, John, unfortunately, is going to get into some real hard-heading issues. Controversially, uh, you know, uh, some of the texts we'll get into this evening, man, is going to make the back of your hair stand up on the, your head. And, I, and I, I say that because it did me. I was reading, I was like, oh my God. And I'm not new to this chapter and this letter. I'm not new to it at all, but I felt like in a way, kind of the, through the work of the Spirit, you know, my scales were ripped back and I was like, oh, the scales, the blinders on my eyes were ripped back. And I was like, oh my goodness, what does this mean? And I'm glad that John decided to start this chapter with that statement. See how very much the Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. I'm glad for that, because in light of the rest of these verses, woo. So this introduction in chapter 3, again, sets the foundation for what we're going to read next. It sets the tone, the very foundation of what John's trying to communicate. Let's read further in the second half of verse 1, chapter 3. But the people who belong to this world... Don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't, what, know him. Now, that kind of seems like a misplaced verse, doesn't it? You know, 
in light of the opening statement, for me, I'm just like, what is it? You know, we're going to the world now. I mean, what's this mean? I mean, you just told us the Father loves us. What are we, where are we going? And even, even the next verse seems to me in my thoughts, in my mind, a little misplaced. He goes on in verse 2. Dear friends, we are already God's children. Just affirming the first part of chapter 3. But he has not yet what shown us uh, what... I'm sorry, I lost myself. He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we know that we will be like him, for we will see him for who he really is. Again, in light of the verse 1, I, I, for me, if not knowing and studying, I would say, what, where is this coming from? I mean, we're talking about everything from the world not recognizing the children of God because they're not of God, and then we go into kind of a, a, a Christ appearance, the second coming, like, right? That's in verse 2. Uh, for we will know what we're to be like when Christ appears. We get to a little eschatology very quickly, uh, although that's not where I'm going. And then verse 3, it sets for me, I guess, the rest of the tone here. It just kind of brings in verse 1 and 2. It brings it home. It brings it close. It, it, it brings it so I can understand it. And in verse 3, we see that we get our first, like, command, if you would, an instruction, you know? He loves us, we're his children, the world doesn't recognize that because they're not of God, yada, yada, yada. And then we're kind of lambasted with a command. And that's exactly what John does in verse 3. Let's read it. And all who have this eager expectation. What eager expectation? Well, we'll go back to verse 2. The eager expectation of Christ's appearance, his second coming. That's important for the rest of the verse, 3 to understand that. So, in all who have this eager expectation, we, I'm sorry, they will keep themselves pure. Just as what? He is pure. So, in light of Christ's coming, second time to earth, we are they, the audience, the readers of John's letter, if you would, will do what? They will keep themselves pure in the same manner reflected in Christ. Now, this whole understanding of knowledge of Christ is important in John's letter. If we go back a couple verses uh, to chapter 2, actually 28. Go with me there. Chapter 2, verse 28. It says, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ, so that what? When he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Since we know that Christ is what? Righteous. We know, we have a knowledge of what? Christ's righteousness. Let me just find my place. We also know that all who what? Do what is right are God's children. And consequently, this doesn't happen without a knowledge of Christ and who he is. And even back further, it doesn't happen unless what? John says it right here. Unless you remain in fellowship with him. And it's an old saying, what you, uh, what is it? What you view what is what you become. What is go ahead, uh, Go ahead, don't be shy. Don't be shy. What you behold is what you become. That's the essence of what John is saying. He's not just giving us, you know, you will keep yourself pure. He's saying this is how you do it. By what? Remaining in him. And by remaining in him, 
you behold who he is, and who he is is what? Righteous. You will want to be righteous as he is righteous. You know, I'm a dad. My, my son's five years old, and that boy copies me to the T. Now, some of you, that might scare. I understand. It scares me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Oh, my God, that's me right there. That little temper tantrum, that's me. Yeah, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. But it's true, you know. For us who are parents, who have been parents, for us who are going to be parents, when your kids get a certain age, especially the fathers, I'm not trying to downplay the mothers. Listen, the mothers are needed. My son without my wife and just me and him, my God, look out, it's not good. Bethany adds an element of beauty <laughs> that's needed in our threefold cord, you know. Uh, but, but my son and, you know, anybody who's a father can attest to Especially in the males, you know, they seem to just gravitate towards dad. Dad's attitudes, dad's sharpness, dad's swag, if you would. I got no swag, I try, but, you know. But it's true, and so we see that in the natural. We understand that. I'm saying, you know, we get that, right? Yeah, of course, you know, Abram wants to be like Daryl. I don't really understand it, but I'd, I'd be, want to be more like Bethany, but, you know, Daryl's fine. But, but, but we get that. We, we want, and that's in the essence of what John is saying here. You behold what you become. I mean, you become what you behold. <laughs> By the way, Wendy Wu, are you here? Wendy, that girl, second person that does the uh, uh, small groups there, she's single. All you men, if you're interested, you know, just <laughs> thought I'd throw that out. We'll ask for her number at the end of service and we'll pop it right up there. <laughs> she's fine. She's fine. No Let's get back to the word. <laughs> What's church without a little fun? I'm sorry. Bethany adds an element of beauty. Verse 3. And all who have this eager expectation do what? Now, the interesting here, thing here in verse 3 is it's not a suggestion. John's not suggesting that in light of Christ's return, he's not suggesting that they might be pure. The word is will. He charges it. They will stay pure. I love it. Now, you may think as a community we may harp on the holiness message. And honestly, I, I want to set this up. Uh, I, I intentionally started Monday. You can ask my wife. She doesn't lie. I tend to stretch the truth, but Bethany never. Uh, <laughs> just stretch it. It's evangelism. It's always within the borders. It's just a little here, a little No, just kidding. Um, but you can ask my wife. Monday, I really was intentional about what I wanted to speak about, and I really wanted to develop a message around the love of God. I you know, hear a lot about holiness and purity, but consequently, you know, whenever you start to study in this kind of demographic, if you would, or text, if you would, whatever, scripture, whatever you want to call it, you ne- the two can, they almost can't separate themselves. What I mean is, you get the message of the love of God, you get this for how much, uh, I'm sorry, how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. Wonderful verse, beautiful verse of God's love, that he not only loves us, but he declares us as his children. Awesome. But then, consequently, you go down further in the text, and it's all like, you know, 
You will stay pure. You will be righteous because you want to behold him who is righteous. And if you behold him, you will become like him. The two can never be separated almost. What I'm saying is you get the love message. Consequently, in the word of God, if you're sticking to it, you'll get the holiness message. And I try, I try, I, I'm going to be straight up honest. I was, I was specifically trying to stay away from words like sin repentance and pure. I'm like, that's, that's almost all we ever heard, but I found out that that's what's in the book. <laughs> and what starts off by love usually sets the premise for what we're to do because of that love, what we're to do in, 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 in spite of that love, if that's the right word. I don't know if spite is the right word. But love should lead us somewhere. Our love for God should lead us somewhere. Amen. I think that's my wife. Maybe not. So we get the first instruction. We get a command. And, and, and John, in no way, is suggesting. He, there's, no, there's no kind of borders here. He's saying, um, in light uh, of Christ's second coming, they will wait, believers, Christians, you and me, will wait on this side of eternity with the eager expectation of Christ's Uh, second coming. And in light of all that, in the interim of all that, if you would, we will what? Stay pure. Now, this is the same, well, we'll let's, we'll head, we'll stop here, because there's balance here, okay? There's balance, I know, oh my God, he's talking about purity again. I mean, God, can't get this right. It's not about getting it right again. We are not justified by works. I'm not even talking about works. I'm talking about what happens at the overflow of our love for Christ. Come on. Preached a message months ago about obedience looks like something. Or no, it was actually love looks like something. And it's the premise of the message was is if we really love God, we'll be obedient to God. It's the message of Christ. It's actually what we see in Jesus. Anyways. The word purity that John is referencing here in verse 3 is defined in the Greek as a moral purity. Okay? It's a moral purity. A choice made by one to what? Be set apart. Okay? It's a choice. I want you to, I want you to get that. It's a choice. Okay? Uh, uh, it means to purify oneself. Okay? Don't necessarily know how you do that, but, you know, it's in there. Uh, to cleanse oneself morally. Essentially, it means to make the choice to be moral in the face of immorality. Uh, it has the overtones. If you study the word pure, pure in First uh, John 3, verse 3, it has the overtones or kind of like the... The underbelly, I don't know, kind of like the mixture in the soup of the Nazarite vow in the Old Testament. I used to call Nazarites Nazanerds. My wife took a vow, and I hated them. I was like, you guys are religious. But they just wanted to live radical for God. It was a place of identifying oneself as set apart. And, 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 and here it is in verse 3, the same kind of language is used for us to identify with what pure me- means. It means to be morally pure, morally set apart in the face of immorality. And it's derived or it's, it comes out of one's choice. That's another thing. You know, God will never browbeat us or kind of rip our arms back to make us do anything. This thing is a choice. And that's where 
and what, excuse me, John is saying here. Equally important to see here, as I touched upon this, is that John is not suggesting. Again, he is commanding. They will. It's just, that's as clear as we can. We can't twist it. We can't make, spin it and make it sound differently. It, this, is, this is something that affects us all. And we all should be aware. I, I want to be aware. I don't want to just sit in church and be unaware of how I'm supposed to live in light of this eager expectation. You know, I'm going to give, you're going to give, old school, let's just say, we are going to give an account before God, friend. And when consequently, I don't think there's going to be a, a lot of love in the air when we do, okay? He, the only love that we'll feel is that we actually were able to get into heaven. There's a verse in 2 Peter that says, even the righteous are barely being saved. I, I Facebooked that, and I got... Inbox messages, what do you mean the righteous are barely being saved? I don't know, Peter said it, but I studied it. I studied it. I even said that Peter said this. That's my disclosure. It wasn't me, friend. I'm not, it's the word of God. But yet, they look at it as just like some kind of judgment card. But what it really is, it reflects the depth of God's love for us. Because what it, Peter meant is when you get in, t- in before the judgment seat of Christ, you will be astonished when you give an account that you were able to make it into heaven. That's what Peter makes means. The righteous are barely being saved. That means when before I get, get before glory, God opens the, the, the television flat screen and, view, and I view my life, I will most likely be utterly shocked that I was able to enter the gates of heaven. We should rejoice over that, friend. The mercy of God. And so I get these inbox messages. Oh, man, you're just trying to hate me. No, 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 no. I want the word of God to define God. Too many Christians go mainly off their experience, much like what's happening here in 1 John, let me just tell you. Although we don't know a lot about who John was writing to, we do know three things. We do know that they were Christians. They were Christians for a long time. These weren't just new Christians. These were some old school dudes and girls who have been in the church for a long time. We do know uh, they appeared to be well known by the author. In chapter 2, John opens and says, uh, My dear children. I mean, you know, anybody you call your children, you, you've got to be pretty close. Uh, and then... Uh, They were facing the rise or the threat of false teaching. Actually, in verse chapter 2, verse 18, you see John confront this kind of antichrist spirit within their community. And so that's why there's the overtones of God's love, but yet get it right. Do you understand what I'm saying? So John is intentional here about talking to some people that have been walking with God for a long time. And there's some dudes, there's some girls spreading some heresy, uh, twisting the doctrines of the apostles, twisting the teachings of Peter and Paul. And John's like, no, no, listen, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. And John loves them. He writes this letter. He's stern, but he's never stern without introducing what God feels for us as his children. Uh, there's a better translation, actually, for, uh, I think, for, 
First um, John uh, chapter 3, verse 4, it says, everyone, actually, no, let's actually, hold, beep, boop, beep, beep, backing up. All right, here's where it gets sticky, <laughs> okay? Here's where it gets, yeah, you're going to feel it in your heart. You, I'm, let me just tell you, okay? If there's anybody in here struggling with sin, you're going to feel this one, okay? But we're going to bring some ballast here. Can I just say it's not bad to feel kind of like uncomfortable in church? I, I would only attend a church that I actually felt like I was getting something out of the message and even felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit while man's preaching. No, for what other reasons would I go? I can, I can read the word on my own by myself at home and... You know, but, but I want to feel something in my heart be changed and respond to God in repentance. You're going to feel this right here. But we're going to bring some balance to this because this is not all that John is writing about. Hallelujah. <laughs> Verse 4. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law. For all sin is contrary to the law of God. Let's read that again. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law. For all sin is contrary to the law of God. It's, un- it's, un- it's important to understand we are not talking about the Mosaic law. law. So don't get your, 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 your thing in a knot, okay? Just undo it. He is not referencing the Mosaic law. He is referencing the moral law that's found in the Mosaic law. That's what he's, he's doing. The, there is a moral law within those tablets that I think the scripture says we are to hear, adhere to. Morally, we're talking, morally. And we already touched upon that in the first couple of scriptures. If you have a problem with that, go back to the book and study, okay? Because I actually found a verse that scare you when it comes to God's law. But I'm not going to say it today, okay? So everyone who sin is, everyone who sins, excuse me, is breaking God's law. For all sin is what? Contrary. That's the key word for me. Sin is contrary to God and his law, his moral law. I love the way that this, translation's, this translation puts it. In the New King James Version, it says, everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. So in other words, practice or the practicing of sin means that we're not ultimately being governed by God as our Lord and Savior. Let's get something out of this. But there is balance here. There's balance. Remember, this is the John who said in verse 8 of chapter 1, if we claim we have no sin, this is... It's paradox here. He's the same guy who just said, are you listening? Go ahead, just clear this out, clear the earway, clear the passageway. This is the same guy who brings balance. He brings balance to this very statement in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. He says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. That works for me, John. I get it because I don't know. If I was honest, I would probably label myself the chief amongst all sinners. But what John is actually confronting and hitting here is the habitual practice of sin. 
That's where it becomes gray, friend. Because in light of Christ's return, we should what? We already know what John says. He says, in light of Christ's second coming, you should keep yourselves pure. As what? He is pure. How do we know what he is? Through beholding him. How can we behold him? Through remaining in him. Actually putting ourselves in the throes of knowing God, friend. And that just doesn't mean your pathetic little prayer closet. Why do you think we have Mondays through Saturdays prayer sets? You think it's just so we can come and contend? No, we want to grow in the knowledge of Christ. Because we know if we grow in the knowledge of who he is, ultimately we will want to be like our father. We will behold him. And who John say he is in, through beholding him? He is what? Righteous. It's funny that John doesn't say he's beautiful. You know, he's majestic, although he is. No, John says he's righteous. I mean, he's all those things. But John consequently just focuses in on the righteous element. I love that. It speaks right to our heart. So, there's balance here to everyone who sins is breaking God's law because it even starts to get more stickier, friend. I'm going to tell you, verse 5 is going to put the nail in the coffin. Let's read it. Verse 5, and now Jesus came to what? Take away our sins. None of us relate to that today. Christ came to take away our sins? Have you seen my life? <laughs> but John says it, take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. There's no sin in him. Why is he saying that? Because he's actually just speaking out of the overflow of what he already knows through beholding Christ. He said, there is no sin in him, friend. Nothing. Not, a, not even, a, not even a, the slightest bit. Anyone who continues, oh my Lord, here it goes, to live in him will not sin. Why are we preaching messages like this behind the pulpit? Anyone who continues to live in him will what? Not sin. How many don't want that for our lives? I'm like, ah, I want this. What does it mean? I don't even, I can't even relate to this. How many can relate to this language? I surely can't. I'm preaching it. That should make you laugh. Uh, Christian jokes gone wild. Here it is. Oh, my Lord. And, and, and I want you to understand that this all kind of circles around, hovers around knowledge and understanding, okay? Knowledge and understanding. Obviously, this is something that John wants to engrave or instill in us because he, he mentions it again in the second half of verse 6. But anyone who keeps on sinning, oh, does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, verse 7, don't let anyone deceive you about this. Right there, we connect with what was going on in their community. Don't let anyone deceive you because the, the heart of what John is trying to communicate to these children of which he loves is that there are the uprising, if you would, of Christians who are starting to mingle in this community, distorting the love of God, the holiness of God, and it's starting to confuse this, this company, this, these dear children of which John loves. And John is writing this letter to set it straight. Listen, there is, we can relate to this today, friend. We can relate to this. 
Because there is a lot of distortion in the body of Christ. I mean, that's why when we have these times around God's word, it is so important, imperative, that we are studying the text and that we are really understanding what they're saying. And I, I know it would be good. I mean, we're charismatic, maybe a little Holy Spirit there, Holy Spirit there. But I've come not just to, just to be Holy Spirit conscience. I've come to get the word of God inside of me. That it might transform me. And so that's why we gather around the presence in his word. You want more presence? Come to a prayer set. You'll get tons of it there. Last night was off the fashizzy. Fashizzy. My mother-in-law said it. I don't even know what that means. Dear children, verse 7, don't let anyone deceive you about this. Now, here's another hard pill to swallow. When people do what is right, when people do what is right, I didn't say it, John did, it shows that they are what? Righteous. It's self-explanatory. It says it doesn't need explanation. That they are righteous, even as what? Christ is righteous. We're becoming what we're beholding, okay? And and goes on to say, but when people in verse 8 keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning of time. And we all know The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Why this message? Why focus on these messages of purity? I I think it's essential to, especially in Cambridge, you know, you would always see in Scripture the different tones and writings and letters and preaching when Paul was in a city or when he was just in a group of people that he loved. You know, didn't, maybe didn't have any context. It always seemed like, you think, think of Corinth, for example. I mean, Corinth, if there was any kind of modern-day Cambridge, Corinth would be that place. You know, very intellectual, but yet very dark spiritually. So there's a tone here that we're to get. There's a thing that we're supposed to focus in that, like I said last time that I preached, that God desires a response from us. It's not just a one-sided relationship. Is there anybody understanding this? Verse 5, the focus of this portion of the letter is that Christ in sin is incompatible. Rather, Christ came to take away our sins and he is completely hostile towards evil. I wish I wrote that, but I didn't. Um... That goes out to uh, Ligonier Ministries. He wrote that. I'm just stealing it. Uh, and in him there is no sin. Verse 6, the effects on believers. No believer who lives in him keeps on sitting habitual or makes a practice of it. We must not, friend, hear me today. We must not water down statements like this. We as Christians, we have no business in light of the word of God to be dabbling around and an alternate lifestyle. That hits home. I used to be one who had an alternate lifestyle. I did. And maybe that's why I preach messages like this, because I, I know what it's like to live under the pressure of kind of being two people at once. You know, Christ, you know, the hope of glory. Here I am Sunday. Here we go Monday. I used to be that guy. Let me just say, you don't want to be that guy. You want to spare yourself the confusion. But listen, we are not talking about the absence of sin. That is 
not what I'm saying. We are talking about the practice of habitual sin. Okay? Because John said, anyone who says they are without sin is what a liar. But there's a reason why I think the message of sin is so predominant in the New Testament. It's because the message of hope runs in tandem. (laughs) You didn't even hear that. If we don't know the problem, how can we focus on the solution? You know, if you've got cancer in your body today, what are you going to do? If you've got disease, what are you going to do? You're going to go to the doctor. Your life is going to change. But it won't change until you see what the problem is. But the solution, my friend, is Christ's death, which atones for your sin. It only atones through the confession. You know, it's funny. When I lived that alternate double lifestyle. And looking back at it, I realized that through my confusion and through my lifestyle, I didn't, I but rarely went to God and asked for forgiveness. I just kind of like, you know, son, bless you, Lord. Ooh, 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 yeah, Jesus, my Savior. Okay. And then went Monday going full hard after sin. Uh, yeah, it convicted me, but you know what? I never went to God in repentance. I never, because consequently, the, the outcome of practicing sin heaps up shame and condemnation. But we understand, listen, let's turn real quick. This may be jumping ahead, but let's go there anyways. Uh, John, uh, Hebrews, excuse me, one thirteen. It's just one little snippet of information here. Is everybody all right? Okay, good. If I can just find Hebrews, that'd be great. We'll be off to a good stand. Go, Pastor. There she is. Okay, there he is. Hebrews 1, verse 3. Here it is. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God and sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. And when he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Now, when we look at the words, cleansed us from our sins, what does that mean? 90% of the time, if not all the time, when the Bible uses that type, that type excuse me, of language, we find that ultimately what God or Jesus did was cleanse us from the guilt that attaches itself to our sin. It's not that sin is wiped away. Because we are in a fallen world. Now this goes for some of you holiness messages, uh, holiness preachers. There's ballast here. There's balance here, folks, and we need to focus on that because the message of hope runs very close to the message of sin and repentance and holiness. It's good. I love it. And so we see that in scriptures like Hebrews 1.3 that actually what Christ did was washed away the guilt that is attached to our sins. That's why even when you study in the Old Testament, when they went to go slaughter the animals, it wasn't necessarily uh, uh, an act of contrition, although it was, in a sense, it was more so to relieve them from the pressure of guilt that they felt in their hearts. Consequently, that guilt would ultimately keep them away from the presence of God. Why Moses, for the majority of the time, if not all, went to God instead. But 
thank God we live under a new covenant. We can come boldly before the throne of what? Grace. But who is and are you and am I doing that in light of sin's hold in our lives? I would venture, if you would, to conclude in my thoughts that we don't. Just given my own history and my own battle. But let's go back to chapter 1, verse 8, and we'll read a couple of verses to really get the heart of the other side, if you would, of the coin here. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Oh, that is just, that rips the heart open. Verse 9, but if we confess, here's the hope. If we confess our sins, I'm not talking about going in the booth and telling Father so and so, all that you did last week. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all wickedness. Again, some balance here to 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. In 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. What, is, what am I getting to you today? What, what am I... What am I, where am I going? I think I've, I've laid a pretty good case here. I mean, I, I could be just on myself. and Good job, Daryl. But um, ultimately, it's not to put the emphasis on sin, but to put the emphasis on hope. Okay? I don't want to put the emphasis on what's wrong. I want to put the emphasis, if you would, on the solution. And I feel that this is the solution. That if we are to go to God sincerely and not shy away because of guilt, that He will be just and He will be faithful to what? Forgive us. Not only forgive us, but cleanse us. So many of us choose to stay away from God when we should make, no matter what, no matter what we're struggling, what we're going through, we should make the effort to press into God. Some of my most profound moments in God is when I was living in utter darkness, but I made the choice to go to Him. And I was met not with hate. I was met not with judgment, not condemnation, although my heart felt very convicted. I went to Him, confessed my sin, and all I met was love. All I experienced was the salvation power of Jesus Christ. I want to say, just as John said, that this is not a new message. John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, he says this. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to, that's okay. Let me just make sure I'm in the right area. For dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment or a new message for you, rather, it is an old one. It has standed the test of time. I am not coming to you today, friend, with a new message. We have maybe shut down on this message. We may feel like this message is no longer relevant to today's church. But that's not the way John sees it. 
That's not the way Jesus sees it. And he will not bow his knees to, his, to, to the authority of the earth and, and go against what is written and what has stood the test of time in this holy script. And so if it worked for John's homies, it will work for us. It will work for you. It will work for me. I want things that work. This will work. It's not a new message. It's an old one. It's the message of Christ. It's the message of the apostles. It's the message of Moses. It's the message of Abraham, Isaac, all of them. It's important today in our culture, especially in church. I am so irritated with the twisting of Scripture so that it feels good. I'm so tired of preachers spinning things so we can start with just the opening verse and just not finish the chapter and just go on to another one. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. We should be irritated about it. There should be something within us. No! I'm sorry, that's a tangent. I can admit it. So this is not a new message. This is a message that has stood the test of times. All this, I believe, is found, or, or, or I believe, is not only crowned or rooted or whatever you want to use for a word in the opening statements of chapter 3, but I believe that there's something here just beyond the shame of eternity, like Peter was talking about, that when we get before God, we'll be surprised that we were able, even able to make it into heaven. But here in verse 28 of 1 John chapter 2, 28, it says, and now, dear children, we read this already, but I want to bring it back here because I really think that there's something to be said of these words. Remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage. You'll be full of courage and not shrink back for him in shame. You know, I don't want to just be full of this courage uh, when he comes, if you would. You know, I, I want to be full with this blessed assurance now. I, I don't want to, like, second guess or shrink back in shame because of my double lifestyle. I, I want to have this confidence now. I want to have this courage now. And I believe, it might be a stretch, but I believe that there's something in here when it comes to chil children of God, people of God, uh, uh, filtering or dealing with sin, but yet loving God. It's hard. It's, it's not easy to feel like God accepts you when there's such darkness in your life or my life. It's so, it's so uneasy, unsettling, discouraging, depressed. You know, a lot of people just think that they're depressed just because, no, there's usually something attached to that depression, friend. There's usually a reason you can't raise your hand in a worship service. There's usually a reason why you can't go to God in prayer. It's not so mysterious, friends. 
And I believe that there's something in this where God wants us to be people of courage. Not that we live without sin, but that we know we can go to Him if we've sinned. We can confess that sin, and He will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Man, if I had this type of thinking, there would be nothing that would keep me from the house of God. There'd be nothing that would keep me from a time of worship, a time of prayer, being in my closet, or with a group of friends. I'd be running to that place much like David did in Psalms. Come on, there was a joy about that guy, but you talk about his life. Kind of messed up, you know? Not necessarily the poster child for righteousness. Kind of just, you know, woo, David, I don't know about that. He's kind of Daryl. You know, he's kind of one of us. But he had such... And enthusiasm. He had such an excitement around him. And, and consequently, in David's life, for the most part, he never let his sin keep him away from the presence of God. Matter of fact, it seemed as though in studying David's life that that sin only drew him closer to God. Let's look at the foe. It's the easiest one to go to with Bathsheba. He goes in the morning. He looks oppressed and depressed. And the guy's like, listen, dude, take a shower. Eat some food. What does he do right after he knows that his son has died? He washes himself, cleans himself, and he goes to the house of God and worships. He's not held back. He's not, he's not like, you know, I can't do this. Do you know what I did? No. He has it in right perspective. Friend, my heart today is that we have it in right perspective. We have, we have Christians with courage. We have Christians that are not shameful, but they're dealing with their sin. Corrective, correct, eh, never mind. They're dealing with their sin through confession and repentance, knowing that God is not up there in heaven holding it. You get it right, boy. Get it right. No, you can't come to me unless you get it right. No, you go to him to get it right. And it's messages like this that highlight the whole thing. Sorry, I didn't mean to spit on you. I don't know who you're up, but I like your hair. Are we getting it? Are we hearing it? Listen, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's none. None. Zilch. Zip. Nada. Nothing. For those who are in Christ, it's not, there's no condemnations for those who are in Daryl Temple. Daryl Temple's works does not make him closer nor farther from God. That's why David said, uh, rather if I make my bed in hell, or if I go there or go there, I'm just paraphrasing, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Come on, do we know that? Do we know that? I think if we really knew that, man, this church would be full. The prayer room would be full. Sorry, I like yelling. You had not noticed. Something that just leaps in my heart over some words. And it would be full. It would be full. But come on. We want to run to God. Even in the midst of our darkness. I love Mike Bickle, you know. I... I love him. And it preaches the message, though I'm dark, I'm lovely. Oh, come on. What God is this? That even as sinners, friend, 
There is nothing that you can do on this side of eternity to gain the acceptance, the love, the assurance of being loved by God or being His child. There's nothing. Nothing. Because He chose to do what He did even as we were in the state of sinfulness. I don't know many people do that for me. I do wrong against them and they do something so profound for me. But that, that is powerful and that should revolutionize, I think, our thinking and our approach to God. That doesn't make me just want to kind of hit cruise control. You know, it doesn't just make me want to just kind of glide through life, have no depth in God, no relationship with God. That doesn't make, that does not, it doesn't make me want to go sin more just because I'm loved by God. It doesn't do that. It makes me, I'm going to know this God. And when the doors are open to the church, when the doors are open to the prayer room, find me there, God, growing in the knowledge of who you are. Amen, amen. Listen, We will never be fully convinced of our rightful position as children of God and that we are completely loved. We must remember that it's because of Christ. I know that this is probably familiar, but it's because of Christ and His sacrifice that makes all of this possible. Nothing more, nothing less. Actually, John says it in John, the Gospel of John. You don't have to turn there. One little statement. John says it in his Gospel. Uh, it's uh, chapter 1, verse 12, and this is what John says here, if I can get there in a timely manner. Is everybody all right? Been doing it about 40 minutes, and I'm, I'm going to stop and let you all go home and eat your turkey. Oh, that's right, you're fasting. Um, <laughs> chapter 1, verse 12 says this, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave, what, the right to become, not Christians, Not some kind of title, not some kind of clique, but he gave them the right to be children of God. It's not because of us, friend, and don't get the message of sin and holiness confused because no matter what you do, it is not going to change the love of God in your life and for your life. But in light of getting close to God, in waiting, in eager expectation for Him to come again, you will live in a manner that exemplifies, that shows your love. Come on! All right. Oh my God. This is okay. Is everybody all right? Now, it, it, it said there's no condemnation in Christ, but it didn't say that there's no conviction Okay? Entirely different words. Entirely different feelings. Entirely different emotions. Listen, there's an entire different emotions connected to condemnation than there is the emotions connected to conviction. Are you hearing me? So if you want to identify, some of you looking at me like i got three heads, but let me just put it down for you here. If you want to un, un, uh, identify, excuse me, rather you're feeling condemned or convicted, look at your emotions. Are you wanting to stone me? Some of you say that. Thank you. Bless, blessed be the name, Sister Michelle. 
But there's, there's different emotions associated with condemnation than there is conviction. We should slide in. We should find a home within conviction. <laughs> Some of you don't like that. But, but we should. We should find a comfort, if you would, with feeling convicted. Why? Because it actually reflects that we are children of God. Hebrews 12, the writers of Hebrews, you see that. Actually, we're in jeopardy of being illegitimate if we're not feeling certain things and being chastened by God. I don't want to be illegitimate. You don't want to be uh, one of those guys. Just say it over yourself. I don't want to be one of those people. Say it. I don't want to be one. I don't want to be one of those. God, say it again. I don't want to be the one. Say it again. Come on. You don't want to. I don't want to. And so there's a great hope. But there's also a great call. There's a great hope, but there's also a great responsibility. And for us here at Hilltop, guys, I want us to be and have an immense amount of courage, not shrinking back, but going to God always, confessing, asking forgiveness. And growing in the love of God. Maturity is what's needed. And that's what I hope was communicated here today. Courage. No shame. It's impossible, guys, as believers, when you have been given the extraordinary opportunity to confess something that brings much shame in your life. It's impossible to not go to God and do it. It's impossible to stay isolated and shrink back when you have been given an opportunity provided by Jesus to go boldly before the throne of Christ. I want us to take advantage of that as a community. For I, want, I want to take advantage of that in my life. I want it to be said of me that I never shrink back because of A, B, or C, or D but that I went before the throne of grace every time I had an opportunity and I asked for that forgiveness and Jesus' blood washed over me and I was free from the guilt of sin. I mean, I got three of you maybe saying amen. This is great news. This is the gospel. Take it or leave it, Cambridge. I love you guys. I really do. Thank you, Michelle. I think that was you. Michelle loves me. She's also single, if you're uh, interested. <laughs> Just saying. Just come to me. I can tell you guys who's single, who's not. And we, can, we can start getting this thing going. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> start getting this thing going. I, I'm shy. No shame in that game. I wish my pastor called me out when I was single, okay? Although I can see why he didn't, but for whatever reason... <laughs> I think it's safer to call it the girls than it is the guys. You know, dudes, we just need to be refined more. Girls, they're just like, ah, love Jesus. Okay. No, it's good to have fun. Especially in the midst of such, uh, you know, searing words, I think. You know, words that sear the heart, they just, it's good to have fun. It's medicine. Truly, I want us to take this word to heart. Can we, Hilltop Church? You know, one thing I pray continually for you guys and me, myself, is that we just wouldn't be hearers of the word, that we would be doers. 
Um, I want to not, I want to hear the word and obey. I want to hear the word, live it out and do it. I just don't want to hear it, say, oh, that was great, then go on the same old person doing the same old things. And so that's my heart for us. I want us to hear things, get in our spirit, let it transform us and let it change the way we live. Can we do that as a church? Cambridge needs that, guys. Cambridge just doesn't need another church full of stuffed shirts. You know, they don't need a church uh, uh, full of people who just are, are die hard to their theology, die hard to this and that. And all, meanwhile, Christians are dying. Cambridge needs a vibrant, obedient community who is fully in love with Jesus, submersed in the culture of the kingdom, going hard after the things of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this people, my dear children. Not just kidding. <laughs> I thank you for my friends. Lord, help us not to be religious. Lord, help us not to be a stuffed shirt. Lord, we want to move. We want something within us to move when the truth is articulated, when the truth is preached, God. We don't want to come in the doors, Lord, and not be changed or provoked to live differently, Lord. We want to go hard after the things of God and letting truth do its work inside of us. Letting the word, the double-edged sword separate lies from truth in our lives, Lord. And Jesus, we want to grow in the knowledge, the understanding of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Listen, I want to do this. I'm going to officially dismiss us, but I want to, uh, I'm going to hang back here.